would like to see people look at the seriousness of what we're facing in this nation. The nation's horribly divided. If the church is divided, then it's only going to add to the division within the nation. I would like to see people become really serious about time in the Word, prayer. Uh, I don't know how much time we have to have the freedoms that we have right now in this nation, but they may be taken from us as time unfolds. Welcome to Grace in 30 on WERALP, Arlington 96.7 FM. This is Ed Malik, and I'll be your host for the program tonight. Mike Minter was the son of a Navy admiral when he flunked out of the Naval Academy in the 1960s. He was left standing on the corner, so to speak, wondering what he would do next. After returning to school and getting a degree in political science from Old Dominion and a Bible degree from Florida Bible College, Mike and his new wife made their way to Reston, Virginia in 1974 with $600 in their pockets and the goal of planning a church. Mike got a job at a local golf course, shining shoes and handing out towels, and he started a Bible study in the home of a local resident. That Bible study grew into what is now Reston Bible Church based in Sterling, Virginia. Mike has been the lead pastor at RBC for 45 years and is still going strong. He joins us to talk about some of the memorable moments in his life, along with some of the most important things he's learned shepherding thousands of people over the past four and a half decades. Mike, welcome to Grace and 30. Good to be here. Can't wait to share some thoughts. <laughs> so let's just start off talking about the Navy story. I've heard you share that from the pulpit a handful of times over the years when I, I came to RBC. Tell the listeners, what happened that led to your demise at the Academy? Well, I should never have entered to begin with. My dad was superintendent. And my personal feeling is that somebody in Washington, D.C. pulled some strings because my dad knew that I was not academically qualified to enter the academy, and he tried to talk me out of even applying. But I went ahead and applied anyway, uh, just for kicks, and sure enough, I got accepted. Uh, but clearly, somebody looked at the name and said, oh, that's Charlie Minner's son. Let's let him in. Big mistake, but I had a great time while I was there, and I learned a lot. So he was a two-star admiral at the time, correct? Correct. And, and he, he was a skipper, actually, in the Navy. He, he was on the Intrepid, right, the aircraft carrier? He was the skipper of the aircraft carrier Intrepid, and then eventually picked up three stars when he went to Europe. It, it's interesting. When um, years ago, you, after your, your dad passed away, probably about 10 or 11 years ago, and I remember you read some of his letters uh, to the congregation uh, one, one weekend, and it was really amazing. He would sit down and really write these long letters to, to you and your, your siblings, and, uh, you know, what did that mean to you, getting letters like that and still having those uh, to, to refer back to? You know, today we've lost that, that skill of writing letters. We send out quick emails or little texts. Um, my dad would sit down and compose lengthy letters when he was in Europe, and he would write back to me, and he was always encouraging. I've got 18 of his letters. My sister's got 17 or 18 of his letters, and so does my brother. One of these days we're going to put them all together and put them in a big folder, but um he, he, he could describe things beautifully. Uh, he was very, very gifted uh, with words. And I still go back and read his letters from time to time. Very, very encouraging. Yeah, that's, there could be a book there, actually. You could assemble them and put them in a book. I think we could. When you were at the Academy, you are saying you really didn't feel like you were capable of going there, or you, you were the one that was pushing for it, and he was sort of thinking, nah, I don't know if this is a good idea. Yeah, I wasn't a math uh, science guy, and as soon as I got in there, I felt like I'd you know, showed up at the Daytona 500 on the <laughs> tricycle. Uh, I, I, this was not my, I was buried immediately under chemistry and math and physics. But 
the Lord used it because this is where I, I met a lot of guys, and I still go back to my reunions, and I've got my 50th reunion for my class coming up here in uh, just a few weeks. I'll be there at that. So what year were you in when you left the school? I left in 1968. Had I gone in right out of, out of uh, high school, I would have been the class of 66, but uh, I left in 68. So when you finished there, you left, you found yourself kind of figuring, what am I going to do? You applied to Old Dominion, and you went there, correct? Went to Old Dominion, uh, got a degree in political science, and then traveled around Europe, and that's where I uh, eventually, well, actually a guy from the academy had me travel around Europe, and that's where I heard the gospel. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that, because you've spoken about that often as well, how you were, you were traveling with someone who just had this what I call a radical dependence on God. He just kind of didn't worry about his train tickets or where he was staying. He just moved about Europe with, with, without looking at those cares, but really just looking for God to provide. Tell us a little about that. Oh, it was, it was amazing. His name is Bruce Bickle. Right now, Bruce is suffering from Parkinson's disease because he was shot down twice in Vietnam as a helo pilot. But uh, we no sooner landed in Europe, and we found we had no plans. We had what we call a Eurail pass, where you just get off wherever you wanted. And we got off at a, in uh, Luxembourg and traveled down to uh, Paris that night, got in very, very late, around midnight. And <laughs> as the Lord would have it, um, there was no place to stay, nothing, and, and the information booth was closed. But he said, oh, the Lord will provide. And this lady had forgotten something in the information booth, came back in and said, hey, can I help you guys? And sure enough, there was a room right around the corner for two. And this happened every single place we went in Europe. And I knew that he knew a God that I didn't know. And I basically said, take me to your leader. <laughs> so this went on for weeks or months, correct? Uh, it went on for a month, one month. And I have stories that we wouldn't have time to get into on, on the time that we have. But God was clearly revealing himself to me through somebody that knew the Lord in a very personal and dynamic way that I did not know. And it just turned my life around. So, assuming that shortly after that, you got back home, and that's when you decided to go to Florida Bible College? Well, when I got back home, I, I went into the life insurance business, and I stayed lived with my uncle down in, in South Miami. And I ended up going in with the Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company, but I met somebody at the company that invited me to go to an evening uh, concert at Florida Bible College, and I saw some little notes that they would put out saying how you can take Bible classes in the evening and how you can know the Bible is the Word of God. So I signed up for some of these evening courses and lost total interest in selling life insurance and uh, ended up entering uh, uh, the Bible college in 1972 and graduated in 74. Just had a couple of years, but it was well worth the time. So there was a, a phone call that came in from Reston, Virginia, to the college, yeah. look, searching for someone to, to plant a church locally, and you somehow got the call. Tell us about that. Well, I was sitting in chapel one day, and uh, Mike Schaefer, who was, uh, headed up our chapel services, said, can I see Mike Minter after, after chapel? And there was about 1,500 of us there, and I thought, I knew I hadn't done anything wrong, <laughs> but I didn't know what he wanted. And I went up and he said, Mike, I know you and your wife Kay are interested in starting a church in Charlottesville, Virginia. But uh, you don't know anybody there, and we've just gotten a phone call from a guy that's very much affiliated with Florida Bible College, and he's helped get churches started in different places in the country. Would you be interested in talking to him? So I called this fellow Charlie Swift. We prayed about it, and we decided this would be the place we'd come. So that's how the Lord directed that, from a phone call. 
So you get up here, and I, and I love that you, you just went to work at the golf course. You're basically handing out towels and shining shoes, and, yep. and, and in parallel with that, getting a Bible study going. Um, you know, describe what happened there. Well, when I, when I got up here, um, we started a Bible study, and, but Charlie Swift said if, if, you, if you want to get a job, you're probably going to have to work at a local club. I couldn't get a job at a church because I didn't have a seminary degree. And so I, uh, I got a job at the, at, the, at the club, and my manager, Bob Leanhouse, uh, said he was an atheist. And I said, well, I'm, I'm here to start a church. And so we had our first Bible study. I arrived in May of 74. We had our first Bible study in June of 74, just a month later. And I invited Bob out. And Bob and, and my um, direct uh, hire was, a, was the athletic director, a guy named John Atherton. And uh, both of them came that night to the study, uh, one with their wife and the other one not. At any rate, that began the whole the whole story of both of them coming to know Christ. They both served the Lord, and Bob died about a year ago, but both served the Lord all through the years. The study grew, and everybody in the very early stages became so excited about the Lord that we decided to start meeting on Sunday mornings, and uh, we did. And it just took off from there. And you were a little worried, weren't you? Apprehensive. You're like every week, is anyone going to show up and <laughs> tell us about very, your angst? Very, very, very concerned if anybody was going to show up, but uh, they did. And people were hungry for the word. There, there were no real evangelical churches in 1974 in Reston, at least not in Reston proper that I knew of. And so people had never heard much about the Bible. And when I got these people together, it started with about six or seven. And with just in a few weeks, we were having about 20 to 25 meeting in this home. And people were fascinated to find out what the Scriptures had to ba- say about eternal life and, and how authoritative the Bible was. And they started bringing their friends, and it just, it just took off. But yes, I was apprehensive. I was having trouble believing that God was actually going to pull the rabbit out of the hat. And, so but, but he did. He did. So you've, you've been at RBC uh, for all these years. Um, you've seen a lot. I, we were talking on the phone the other night that— I remember one particular year that um, alone the pastor of missions took his life, and and you had one of the congregants was murdered by his wife's ex-husband. It was a national story, and you know I, I know you've learned a ton of stuff over forty-five years. But what are some of the most important lessons that you've learned, or, or things that you've seen and, and wisdom you've you've gleaned out of these forty-five years? Uh, that's of course a huge question, but I, I think a lot of it is. Well, number one, this sounds like a cliche, but the Lord is faithful. He he just plain is faithful. As a matter of fact, uh, I my executive assistant was her husband that took his life. I just saw her a few minutes ago. She's still serving in missions. She's here tonight. Um, we saw we've seen a lot of pain in life. I've come to realize that almost everybody has a lot of pain, and I know that people hide their pain a lot to some degree. Of course, you've had your pain. You and I have talked through a lot of that. But I've also learned that um, when people eventually start really trusting the Lord with their pain and are willing to share their, their darkest moments with people they're, they're confident in, they get life. They find real life and real hope. And I've just seen that. I've seen lives transformed, Ed, just just turned on their heads, 180 degrees. I've seen prodigals come back home. I've seen marriages that seemed impossible to resolve and reconcile. I've seen, I've seen the, the power of the gospel give life to people, just as it promises to do. A um, lot of troubling things we've seen through the years, but uh, as again, I would say the big thing is I've just seen the Lord faithful 
when I didn't think we were going to pull out of the nosedive. Because we not only had what you just mentioned, we had four suicides and a murder within a 15-month period. And I thought that was going to sink us. But the church grew during that time. Yeah, you mentioned, you said, when you share with one another or each other. Is, is community a major part of this? Oh, well, since we started with just six or seven people and it grew, we became so tight. The early the early church, I would call it, in, in Reston, uh, we would meet in the evenings and, and on, on Sunday nights and share our thoughts. Then small groups began to be spawned out of that. Community is huge. As a matter of fact, right after this, I head over to my community group, our shepherd group, and uh, look forward to getting with them and hearing what's been taking place in their lives over the summer. Um, if you don't, if you don't have, if you don't have people in your life that, that share the common goal of the advancement of the kingdom, you're just plain missing out. You have to have people. It isn't so much accountability; it's just life on life. It's iron sharpening iron, and I have so many deep deep relationships with people that I just never would have had had I not, had we, we're not sharing the gospel together, uh, you know, around food or just sitting around talking about life, because that's life. That's real life. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, people hear me make the statement I'm going to make now. Um, I, I, you know, I had a 25-year relationship. I was divorced 11, 12 years ago, and over 10 years, uh, my relationship was miraculously restored with, with what I call my wife. I don't call her my ex-wife. And I think perhaps the biggest lesson I learned, which is shocking to people, is the importance of community. I had become incredibly isolated, even though I was a mm. believer and a follower of Christ. I was all alone, and I was mad. And when I did get together with other men, it was to complain about our wives and to, and to sort yeah. of, oh, yeah, yeah, your wife sounds terrible, instead of having really godly men who, who realize that they're representing Christ in the relationship and, and they're to lay their life down for their wife. And I, I often wonder where I would have been if I had those relationships. The good news is now I've, I've really see the value of it, and I make it a point to develop those. Um, I, I want to make sure that you at least take a stab at, at this. You know, I'm, I'm huge on grace. I've, I've learned what I call the realness, the superpower, the practicality, and the beauty of God's grace. And I, I like to ask people, especially like you with such deep experience, tell, our, tell the audience, what is grace? Well, there have been numbers of, of definitions about it, but but it's the it's the empowerment in First Corinthians fifteen ten, I believe it is. Paul says, "I labored more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God labored in me." And then you look at Titus um, two, where it says, "The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us." So grace is an empowerment to live the impossible life. You, you can't live the Christian life, only Christ can. And when he pours his grace into you, it's him living his life through you, as Galatians talks about in other portions of Scripture. And so when I look at the impossible things, the impossible tasks, the impossible uh, demands that Scripture have upon us, we can't do it. It's impossible. But when God does it through us by empowering us with his grace, he gets the glory we're blessed by it. People see it, and they say, there must be something to this, because this couldn't happen any other way outside of the divine enablement and, and empowerment of God himself. So that's kind of how I see it. That's I love that. And and you, you probably realize, got one of my update emails that I published a book recently uh, called Monumental Hug. It tells the story of divorce, cancer, grace, and healing. 
And towards the end, one of the editors who read it said to me, uh, you could, there's a danger in here with this re restoration of the relationship and what you did and of, of you looking like you're trying to be the hero of the story. And at one point towards the end, I just said, I want to make one thing really clear. I am not the hero of the story. Jesus Christ uh, in Ed Melick is the hero of the story. I'm, yeah. I'm impatient and ugly and angry, but he inside me is, is, is patient and beautiful and tender. And it's just, it's this, and there's a realness to this. When you would experience it at a certain level, you, you just become unstoppable. You can't help but tell people about the wonderful things you've seen and heard. That's basically Acts uh, 420. Yeah, amen. So what's, I got to ask you, what's on your heart these days? What, what do you see as some of the, the biggest challenges uh, affecting the church or the body of Christ, whatever you choose to call it? I would say um, the lack of, of unity is uh, really heavy on my heart. As a matter of fact, I'm meeting tomorrow with a couple of key pastors in the area to talk about this very issue. Clearly, we're going to have, you know, some minor doctrinal issues here and there, and there's going to be different views on how to worship or what your building ought to look like. But a house divided can't stand. And if you go back to the book of Acts, pretty much the basic message all through Acts was the death burial and resurrection of Jesus, and the, the, the church just exploded. Yes, they had their problems. That's why Paul had to write First Corinthians to lay some corrections down, as well as some of the other epistles. But everything was still pretty much centered around the person of Christ. I think in the United States, we have too much time on our hands. And so with too much time on our hands, we study all kinds of minutia regarding doctrine, and then we hold other people accountable to agree with us or we're not going to meet with them. We're not going to get along with them. And this is really holding the church back. And when Jesus prayed in John 17 that we might be one, he wasn't kidding. Hmm. And I would like to be, I'd like to be the generation that's alive when that prayer is answered, because I think it has to be. And as our nation is collapsing under a great deal of moral corruption, I think the church, church could be forced underground at some time. But I think I think the Lord's going to put some pressure on us to come together and be more unified than we presently are. That's my big, that's my heartbeat right now. Yeah, I think people talk about grace being undeserved, unmerited, unearned. I believe that what has to be added to that definition is unwavering, because I don't know if it's, if it's something about Americans or people in the world in general, but I know here in the U.S. we'll do something nice for someone and they don't thank us or they don't respond in the way that we were hoping for. We get mad and we quit. And, and the thing that I learned with Diane is when I decided to extend grace to her, true, godly grace, I, I didn't quit no matter what happened in response. And it was hard. It was really hard. But I just kept going. And I kept going. And by doing that, I demonstrated to her that this was, this was not a game. It was sacrificial. It didn't depend on how she responded. It was, I just determined to, to lay my life down for her. And I, I just believe that is incredibly important. Yeah, Ed, if, if, if everybody did that, and I know you're not trying to lift yourself up, you've already made it very clear that Christ has to get the glory. If we did that, you know, the only way to get grace, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When we humble ourselves, as you did before Diane, when you do that, uh, then God empowers you. She sees it. Other people see it. This is what changes lives. It's not a lot of arguing about different doctrines, but the, but the minute you say something like that, a lot of people say, oh, you're going to throw doctrine out the window and hold hands and sing Kumbaya. That's not what I'm saying. I'm, I hold all the basic, true uh, doctrines that have been held throughout the, the ages, through the years, but there are, there's too much minutia out there. 
that just holds us back from being truly unified. And when we're united, we're going to see a power like you've never seen before. I'm waiting for that day. So the disunity that you're seeing, it seems like there's really sort of a a focus on theological disagreements, you know, these things that divide us for no reason. We still should be unified. Um, Give us some examples of that. And and tell us how you, I know you were working with some other pastors and doing some kind of novel new things to try to kind of cross-breed or get to know each other better and kind of get the congregations together. Maybe tell us about that. I meet with a lot of I meet with a lot of young pastors in the area, and I've had uh, and I meet once a month with pastor to pray. I had a pastors conference about five years ago. About fifty guys showed up. I'm hoping to have another one. Haven't decided exactly when, but you could take almost any issue. You could take baptism. We're going to have different opinions on that. I don't. That's not that's not going to be something I'm going to die on the hill over. Uh, there are different views of, of the role of women. I'm not going to die on the hill. I have my own personal views. RBC has its own personal views. But but the problem is we wind up trying to shepherd other churches through blogs and, and tweets and all those kind of things, and it, it's harmful because what a guy down the street is doing or across the country is not my business. Now, it's my business if he's well-known and he denies the deity of Christ or the inspiration of Scripture or the Gospel, then I might warn our people. But if he's got a different view on baptism or whether women can pass out communion plates or something, that's not going to be an issue with me. That's his business for his flock, and this is where we're getting too divisive. This, The beauty of, of what you and I are even doing right now, I'm talking into my cell phone, this could be a unifying factor, but with all the the noise out there, we're, we're actually using it as a disunifying factor. The blogs have become, become nasty. They've become actually slanderous in many respects. People attacking one another don't even know each other, don't even know the, the context of, of how a church may have developed or blossomed. So this is, this is, this is no small issue with me. I am, uh, I'm pretty heated over it, to be honest with you. So you actually have gone and preached at other churches and had those other pastors come and speak at RBC, correct? Yes, yes, we've traded pulpits. Love it. And and is that you know bearing fruit? I mean, is it, can you see change because of that? Yes, um, I've had a, a black pastor come and speak at our church, Brett Fuller, um, at Grace Covenant. I've spoken at his church, uh, Brian Bales and I, at Christian Fellowship. I think when people see that, they go, "Wow, these guys aren't competing. Yep. They really care for the other guy's church." Uh, it, not the other guy's church, it's God's church, you know, but, but they care. And they're not worried about, you know, stealing sheep. We're, we're together in this thing, and we really want to move forward. We've done a lot of things together. We're hoping to have a prayer meeting with some of the other churches and gather here at RBC and, and pray an evening with our people. So we'll see how that goes. It's going to require a little coordination. So we've got just a, a few more minutes left, and I want to make sure that, you know, you share with our, our listeners. We, we ask people, you know, Tell us what's really on your heart. What do you want to share right now? How do you want to challenge people? Do you want to issue some sort of a call to action? What What would you like to share with people uh, in the last few minutes here? I would like to see people look at the seriousness of what we're facing in this nation. It's, the nation is horribly divided. If the church is divided, then it's only going to add to the division within the nation. I would like to see people become really serious about time in the Word, prayer, Uh, I don't know how much time we have to have the freedoms that we have right now in this nation, but they may be taken from us as time unfolds. And I think people need to be very serious, not to over 
uh, spend too much time in in playing video games. I'm not down on that, uh, but I when you're spending endless hours a day with entertainment, these things are drawing us away from the centrality of Christ. They're pulling us away from from the empowerment of the gospel going forward. So I just would like to see people take a real hard look at their lives and say, what's my life going to count for? What's it going to count for when it, when all is accounted for at the very end? So I have to ask you, uh, in my book, I have a chapter on this, I have a second book coming out in a, in a month or so. What is the gospel? People hear about this, the term, the gospel, the good news. Share with us briefly the gospel. Well, the gospel is uh, never given the same way twice in Scripture. It's certainly defined in 1 Corinthians 15 as the death and resurrection, but you'll see Paul use it differently in different places. It's basically becoming a follower of Jesus, and you enter that portal by believing that he truly is the Son of God, that he is God himself, that he's taken on human flesh, that he died, that he paid the penalty for our sin, that he rose again. And when we put our trust, our hope, our faith, our confidence in that message, in the person, the actual person of Christ, we pass from death unto life. And we are given as a gift his righteousness so we can stand before God perfectly pure and forgiven. That's the message of the gospel. But it's explosive. It continues to, uh, you know, pour into every, seep into every area of our lives, not just getting us into heaven. It's the kingdom, and the kingdom is now. And that's an important message to carry forth. Yeah, I I love to say to people now, we got an election coming up in a little over a year, and we're all searching for another king, more hope. It's the same thing over and over. It's human failure and imperfection and sin and stumbling and and i just say hey there's a kingdom coming that is truly perfect it's perfectly just and righteous and prosperous and loving and the king is perfectly in in those ways and that's that's an exciting thing this is a message of hope this is not lording over people amen amen sure is it it is a message of hope and it's the message of hope now not just when you die (laughs) now so a, a quickie question 30 seconds who is jesus Jesus is uh, the embodiment of God himself. He's God incarnate, and he has called us to follow him and to listen to his word. I was just reading John 8 today. By the way, if I had a challenge for your listeners, read John 8 three or four times in a day, and you'll see you'll see what Jesus really is. Oh, that's great. He's the, he's the truth. That's great. So, Mike, thank you so much for joining uh, me tonight and all you've done at RBC. I, I got to tell you, you played a huge role in helping me to become who I am today, and I really appreciate it, and I thank you for that. Well, thanks, Ed, for having me on. I've, I've loved every minute of it. A recording of this program can be found at thegraceand30.com and the WERA.FM websites, as well as on iTunes and Stitcher. This is Ed and Mike signing off from Grace and 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night, and be sure to tune into Grace.